Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 21. So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Lord, would you allow these last few verses, Lord, to have an impact on us, uh, Lord, in a, in a very personal way. We have had the great privilege of walking through this wonderful letter, this, this letter, Lord, that just lays the foundation of the gospel and shows us the implications of that gospel in life and uh, shows us, Lord, how you are at work being our armor and providing us, Lord, with the weaponry for the battle that we're in. And uh, Lord, help us now to, to, to see how, how Paul transitions and how he brings things to a different place um, as he closes out this letter. And may we be not only uh, challenged, but Lord, may we live out the example that he gives us, we ask in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I have been blessed through the years uh, to develop some deep friendships with uh, fellow pastors, um, some of which I've known since college, some I've known in the course of my pastoral ministry, and there are three men that immediately come to mind. One of them you probably have not met. His name is Jim Newcomer. Um, we were in college together. He was a couple of years, years younger than me. Um, we really grew in theology together. We were in a context where what we were thinking and what we were studying and coming to conclusions about was a little different than maybe the institution that we were at. And um, we kind of, you know, kind of together grew. Um, and we worked together at camp. Um, we, uh, uh, in our weddings, were both each other's best men. And uh, we spent a lot of time um, just talking about ministry, even early on in the years when both of us were in our first, I want to say, full senior pastorate roles, where we're the you know, pastor teacher of a church, we would call each other uh, regularly on a Saturday night just to encourage one another, pray for one another, talk about what we were speaking on the next day. And um, he has been a, a, just a great joy as, a, as a, a male friend through the years. And, uh, you know, small, small world, my, my son, Gavin, who's in the Marines, has been stationed out in Virginia and has had the opportunity then to go to the church where he pastors and spend some time with them. And that's been a huge blessing for us to know that that's available for my son. And there's something about a relationship like that that is, that is wonderful, that God has provided. Another one um, is Randy Bachman. You got to meet him a couple of years ago because he joined with us in our mission endeavor to Bolivia. And Randy and I uh, went to the same college together. In fact, we we're in the same year, but really didn't know each other. And it wasn't until we were on staff together at a church that, um, that we really got to know each other, traveled together, lived nearby, um, you know, saw our kids kind of grow up and um, had a lot of laughter and, and faced a lot of challenges together in the gospel, in ministry, and um, we just were knit together and that, that friendship is still very, very vibrant today. And I'm just so thankful for that. Another one that comes to mind is Matias Mojica, who is our friend down in, in Bolivia. And I, I knew Matias 
1993, I think, was the, the time I really connected with him. My wife and I were at a missions conference at the church where I was an associate, and Matthias was there, and we were part of that, and just really got to know him and Mehdi, and, and over time, that relationship has developed. And um, I call these my, my, my dear brothers. There are others I could add to this list, but the point is these are, these are guys I know that I could trust, that if I was going through some kind of a crisis, if there was a problem that I could pick up the phone, they would drop everything if they, if they were able to, and they would, they would spend time, and they would help me, and, and I know that they would, you know, they would do all they could to, to come alongside me in whatever I was going through. And I'm thankful for that. And friends, this is, this is the result of, of ministry and the gospel being at work in our lives and joining together with other people for the glory of God as we do work together, as we grow in the Lord together. And there is, there's something sweet about this, this brotherhood and this sisterhood that comes as a result of being a part of a church together. And so I would, I would also say that one of the blessings in my life is Gateway Bible Church and the relationships that we have here and the ways in which God has endeared us together. And many of us have gone through some, some, some difficult times together. We've, we've endured some hardship. We've struggled together. And some of the, the birth of this church is as a result of some people coming together and saying, you know, we want to see a gospel-centered church in this 580 corridor and, and wrestling through how do we do that and seeing things develop and, and grow and, and being at each other's side at different difficult times and, and just kind of uniting together and wrestling over some theological positions and, and just kind coming together as the body of Christ. And there's, this, there's a brotherhood and a sisterhood that is just wonderfully sweet in the body of Christ. And what's interesting is that Paul really has been laying out you know, doctrine and practical implications of that doctrine. And he talks about the spiritual armor. And, and now, as he comes to these last few verses, he is, he's turning a corner, so to speak, because as he's thinking about the man that he's sending, he's also thinking about the Ephesian believers and his, his heart is welling up because what he's been talking about is, is to affect them. And he, he, he longs to see them. He, he longs to be able to know how they're doing. And I'm sure as I'm talking about my friends and I'm sure that as you were listening, you were probably just kind of filtering through the index card of, of your brain of people and, and men and women who have been that kind of relationship to you. They've been an encouragement to you in your walk with God. They've, they've been there at significant times to help you through and you look back and you say, God, thank you for their influence in my life. Now the reality is Jim Newcomer lives in, uh, in Virginia. Um, Randy lives in Michigan and Matthias lives in Bolivia. So we're not hanging out together. But that friendship is like it never ends. Pick up the phone, you know, email, whatever it might be. It's, it's, there's this ongoing kind of relationship. And, and I think we see that here as we come to these last couple of verses. So what we have here is Paul modeling for us this, this wonderful, loving, caring affection um, within the body of Christ. Let's read again this, this passage so that you may also may know how I am and what I am doing. Um, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, 
that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So Paul's letter has been this this passionate plea to believers, um, in, in particular in Ephesus, although there is a sense in which this, this, this letter is gonna be a circular letter, but it's this, this passionate plea to the believers there in and around Ephesus to recognize their position in Christ and then how to live their lives for the glory of God out of that new identity. And so let's just do a quick reminder of, of this book and just wanna just walk you through briefly, just kind of brief walk through the book so that you can see the impact of, 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 of where we're, we're coming to here. Uh, we, we certainly began with an introduction and we took time to look at that introduction and then we saw these, these three kind of, I wanna say, activities that kind of frame this book. We're seated in Christ. And that is something that is true of all believers. And if you remember, um, under that heading, chapters one through three, uh, we have been given these spiritual blessings and just a whole list of things that God has given us there. We're, we're told that, that we, we are now his workmanship created in Christ Jesus because we've been moved from, from death to life. The Jews and Gentiles of which we are a part have come together to create one man and that one man is now the church. This is the the blessing that we have because we are united in Christ. And then in chapters four to kind of the middle of chapter six, uh, we have this idea of walking in Christ. This, this, This this position in Christ flows out now with a, an application of how we then are to walk. We're to walk worthy of, uh, as the body of Christ. We're to walk worthy in the world and then to walk in love and then to walk as wise men in the context of a sexually crazed culture. And then we're to walk in the spirit in the arena of our marriages and our families and the workplace. So this, this, this idea of walking is, is, is a, an outflow of our union in Christ. And then we have this picture of standing in Christ where we are clothed with the armor of God. Okay? This, we're in a spiritual battle, wearing the spiritual armor with spiritual weapons. And so, so Paul now, having dictated this letter, um, takes the parchment in hand and with, with ink-stained hands personally pens the final words of this letter. And in so doing, he reveals the care and the affection on his heart for the Ephesian believers and for his faithful brother in ministry, Tychicus. And these four verses were given the great privilege of understanding the kinds of bonds and the kinds of affection that are uh, uh, the strength behind being the body of Christ. And there are examples for us to learn. And so this morning, we, we, wanna, we wanna tap into that. We wanna see a little bit about what that looks like and, and understand um, that these are not just, uh, this is not just a quick kind of, uh, let me finish off this letter. No, Paul takes time to emphasize specific things at the end of his letters that are significant for us. And so we can summarize it this way. In, in Paul and Tychicus, we're given two examples of the kind of care and affection that fuels the body of Christ. When we are 
caring and affectionate brothers and sisters in Christ, that has rippling effects to the rest of the body. You and I like to be around brothers and sisters in Christ that care and are affectionate in a Christ-like, God-honoring way. We are strengthened, we are encouraged, we're mobilized, and that's the kind of relationship that God wants to see take place in his church. Now here's a question. What is it that those who love and care for one another um, do for one another? Let me give you a couple of answers. There's probably a lot of things, but there's a couple that flow out of this passage. They pray for one another, right? Again, my, my son is in Virginia. We pray for my son. Um, and Paul has asked for prayer. In fact, just one of the last things that we looked at was Paul asking that they would pray for him to have carefulness as he spoke and boldness as he shared the gospel. So Paul is asking that they would pray for him, but Paul has also prayed for the Ephesians. Chapter one, verses 15 and following, and chapter three, verses 14 and following. So Paul is not only asking for prayer, but he's modeling prayer, and so there's this desire to pray for one another. And then secondly, they they like to keep in touch with one another. They like to inform one another what's going on. You know, so I actually talked to my friend Randy Bachman, was it yesterday, two days ago. Hey Rod, how you doing? Haven't talked to you in a while. What's going on? How's the church doing? And I asked the same questions. I want to know what's going on in his life. I want to know how the church is doing. I want to, to hear. Why? Because there is this relationship. There's a brotherhood that's going on. This is part of being the body of Christ. And so how does Paul communicate that? Well, in these few little verses, twice he emphasizes his desire to let the Ephesian believers know how he's doing. Look at verse 21. So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. (laughs) It's right there, right? And then verse 22. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So there's this desire to inform, and this is what makes kind of some of the key ingredients to having this kind of brotherhood and sisterhood relationship. So as we look now at this passage, we want to divide it into two sections, which I think is natural. Uh, When Paul talks about Tychicus, we see an example of affectionate living. And when Paul talks about the Ephesian churches, we want to see there an example of affectionate praying. So affectionate living and then affectionate praying. So let's begin with affectionate living. This is Tychicus, all right? Affectionate living. Now we know some things about Timothy. He was Paul's son in the faith. We know he went to Ephesus to pastor the church there. Um, And so we have actually a couple of letters that he's written to Timothy. So we have a pretty much better grasp of Timothy. We actually know some things about Titus, who was another one of Paul's protégés, who went out to Crete, and while he was there in Crete, he was, he was to set in order that which was still uh, needing to be done in the church there, and to appoint elders in every city, we're told. But we really don't know too much about Tychicus unless we're gonna kind of piece some things together. And so we wanna do a little bit of that right now um, as we think about who this man is. All right, so here's what we do know about Tychicus. Um, Acts chapter 20 and verse four, from that 
section of scripture. He is mentioned along with others, but uh, we recognize there that he's very, very likely from Asia Minor and very possibly from Ephesus itself. All right? Um, Along with the, the other men that are mentioned here, he was accompanying Paul on part of that third missionary journey. I don't know if you've ever gone on a journey with someone, but you get to know people on journeys. When I was a youth pastor, I used to love college trips. We would take you know, a full week and we would visit a bunch of colleges. Visiting the colleges was a good thing, but spending a week with these young people was great. All right, You might say, oh, I don't know about that, Pastor Rod. No, it was great because you got to know them and they got to know you. And so being with someone on a journey like that is a really, um, really helpful thing. He, he was also one of the men whom Paul trusted to take the collection that was gathered for the saints who were struggling and take it to Jerusalem. That's pretty, pretty heavy responsibility. He was with Paul while he was in prison in Rome. So while Paul was in prison, Tychicus was there in Rome. Uh, Ephesians 6 now, where we are, as uh, I should say Ephesians 6, 21 and following, and also Colossians 4, uh, verse 7 and following, let us know that that Paul um, trusted uh, Tychicus to, to take these three letters with him. And, and what was happening here is when fin- Paul, Paul finished Ephesians, he had written Colossians, he also had written Philemon, and he was now going to leave with those letters and travel to those places and to distribute those letters when he got there. Okay, and that's what he's saying here, right? You know, I'm sending this with you, and Tychicus is going to tell you a little bit more about what's going on. He's going to encourage your hearts. So he's entrusting him with that. That's a pretty big responsibility for uh, someone like Paul, who's a leader in the church, who recognized that, that, that you know, God is working through him, and he is building up the church, and he's entrusting to Tychicus the responsibility of getting these letters to where they need to go. But there's something else that's going on here also, and, and it, it comes out um, in particular when you think about the book of Philemon, because Paul was also sending with Tychicus on that trip a slave by the name of Onesimus, whom he was going to present to Philemon as a brother in Christ who had left Philemon, escaped Philemon, all right, departed, so he was a deserted slave, and... Tychicus was responsible to take him back and plead with Philemon to restore him as a brother and to forgive him. It's a beautiful story. But that's quite a responsibility. You're going to take the letters and you're going to take Onesimus with you. From Titus chapter 3 verse 12 and from 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12, we understand that Tychicus was one of those guys that Paul used to replace like Timothy and Titus, so that they could actually come and see Paul. So the bottom line there is that Paul had enough trust in Tychicus to go and to step in the shoes of Timothy and Titus in carrying out the ministry. Okay? So it's clear that Tychicus was a very important, dependable friend and co-laborer with Paul. So with that in mind, it's no wonder that Paul describes his affections for this man with whom he spent so much time in ministry. He calls Tychicus a brother. And by that title, he's not so much referring to him as a fellow Christian, um, but I think he's, he's, he's identifying someone who is a little bit more um, connected and rooted in, in, in affection and love. He's a co-worker. He's a helper. He is a, a, an assistant that is, that is essential to what Paul is doing. 
So in the same sense, friends, it's appropriate as we seek to apply the example of Paul and Tychicus to speak about both the care and affection of brothers and sisters in Christ. Now just think about that. Brothers and sisters, just think about that analogy. Brothers and sisters um, are part of that family and care for one another. Now there's a sense in which brothers and sisters may not necessarily always like each other. Ever been in that situation, brother or sister? But when it comes down to it, you're loyal because it's family. That's a brother and sister relationship. And there's a sense in which here, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we are, we're part of the same family. And that's what kind of connects us together and there's this affection that is natural. Now what's interesting is that um, that, that, that language is, has been lost pretty much in the Anglo-American church. If you were to go to, uh, uh, into the Latin culture, Hispanic church, um, you would probably find that people there referring them to, to one another as hermano and hermana, brother and sister. Um, whereas we've kind of, you know, we've kind of drifted away from that. I don't know if we could, because we think it's just kind of like Christianese language type thing, but there's something warm and affectionate about identifying each other as brother and sister in Christ. Now, how does Paul describe those, this, this close, dear friend of his? First of all, notice he is a beloved brother. He's a beloved brother, okay? Beloved brother. To be called a brother is a good thing. To be called a beloved brother is a much more significant statement. God the Father spoke with a voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism, saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Is that right? Did I quote that correctly? No, he said, this is my beloved son. There's something far more endearing about adding beloved to this expression, brother. So we understand then that that this is a unique, deep-rooted love of a dear friend and co-laborer in Christ. And this expression also implies that Tychicus um, loved or was loved by Paul and was loved by the church in Rome. He was a beloved brother. He was a relational man. He, he, He expressed and received affection to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And to be a beloved brother also implies that Tychicus was not cold and insensitive. In fact, I'm sure um, he wasn't grumpy or difficult. I'm sure he was a delight to be around. I'm sure that he was genuine. I'm sure that he was caring. I'm sure he had flaws too, but I think in this general tone of who he is, he was a beloved brother, the kind of person you want to have be in your group, all right? And Paul often addressed believers in churches as beloved. And it's often the word of choice when he had something specifically tender, difficult to say. Listen to a couple of, of verses of scripture. You don't have to turn there, but Romans 12, 19 says this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's a pretty weighty statement. And before he gives it, he, he says, listen, beloved, I want you to hear me. There's something endearing. It's, you're grabbing your attention. You are, you are the beloved. Listen to what I'm saying. And then Colossians 3.12, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Again, this idea of beloved. You'll go to, to other books, uh, other, I want to say, letters by James, by Peter, and especially John and his epistles. Just beloved, 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 beloved. And it's a, it's a word that is used to describe the body of Christ in a general sense. And I remember in my opportunities of doing ministry um, in, in other countries, my first trip to Russia was to a place called Kirovichapetsk. And I, I had the, as a young man, I was in my, my 30s, um, and uh, I was speaking to, for two weeks, to about 35 missionaries and pastors, and they had come from all different places to that place called Kirovichapetsk. And, and after two weeks, we had kind of endeared ourselves to one another. It was a wonderful kind of relationship that had been developed. And I remember one man in particular. Uh, he was, he was uh, probably about 20. His name was Sasha, and he was from the Caucasus. And he was the only one that they had from that area that was from the Caucasus. And he had this great passion to go to the Caucasus and to, and to begin a work there. But he was going to go by himself. And I remember on that last day, as we were going out to the car, that he, this, is, you know, this is middle of winter, this is like November, and the, the snow was like this high on the ground. And uh, he came out and he stood on top of the snow mound. And he, he looked out and he, and he waved. And he said, Spasibo brot, spasibo brot saying, thank you, brother, thank you, brother. And I, I just remember thinking to myself, I will never see this man ever again. And yet in two weeks of ministry, we were knit together. Now friends, that's, that's something that is unique to the body of Christ. And it's because of the gospel, it's because of this, this wonderful relationship that we have as God's children that we can have that kind of endearing relationship with one another. And so my question to you is, are you a beloved brother or sister? Is that how other people would describe you? Are you outgoing and friendly? Not necessarily because that's your personality, but are you the kind of person that, because you're part of God's family, you're outgoing and friendly? Are you the kind of person that goes out of your way to make people feel welcome? Do you take interest in others at church, at home group, or when God's people are together? Are you easy to approach and, and, and be engaged with? Are you using the gifts that God has given you so that you can invest in other people and help nurture them to maturity in Christ? So the reality is that when Paul mentions Tychicus, the beloved brother, others that are reading this letter and others that knew Tychicus would be nodding their head in agreement. Yeah, we know Tychicus. He is a beloved brother. But not only is he a beloved brother, he's also here called a faithful brother, a faithful brother. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. Now, as a faithful minister, Tychicus was clearly a trustworthy man. He was the kind of guy who was known for keeping his word. He was the kind of assistant that Paul uh, had who did what he was assigned to do with diligence and integrity. And this is evident as Paul sent him to stand in the gap, um, possibly on at least a couple of times, um, while both Titus and Timothy came to visit him. But in other words, Paul was, was, was saying this about uh, Tychicus because um, Paul could depend on him to carry on the ministry even if Paul was not around. He was trustworthy. He was faithful, okay? He could trust Tychicus 
to carry monies that were collected from the saints and actually get it to uh, the people in Jerusalem. You gotta you got think about this. I mean, just imagine handing someone a bag full of money and saying, you're gonna walk, you know, a thousand miles and you're gonna hand this to the people on the other end. It'd be very easy. The temptation, I'm sure, was there. I'll just, I'll just walk down a different road, I think, and take this money for myself. But he was the kind of guy that had integrity enough to actually get it to where he needed to go. All right. he, he could count on Tychicus to help with delicate and difficult matters, in particular this relationship with Onesimus, um, Onesimus and Philemon. So the question now for you is, are you the kind of person that others would call faithful? Are you committed to a clear and robust gospel that presents both the weight of man's sin and separation from God that demands his wrath as well as the good news of God's grace that satisfies that wrath on the shoulders of Jesus, our sacrifice once for all. Now friends, there's something about the gospel that is important for us to recognize that faithfulness means to maintain a robust gospel or to reclaim a robust gospel when it's been lost. Or do you fall short with a a soupy God loves us all kind of a message? Are you the kind of person who is dependable and trustworthy to carry out the wishes of the leadership when asked? And of course the assumption there is that the wishes of the leadership would be in conformity to the word of God. Or are you more concerned about your agendas and and wishing uh, that, that your agenda would be satisfied? Can you be trusted with responsibility, with money, with private matters? Or are you loose and free with your hands and with your mouth? See, faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. It, it is the result of the Spirit at work in you as you are working out your salvation with fear and trembling, as you're progressing to become more and more like Jesus Christ. So it's a mark of leadership and maturity in Christ. And faithfulness is critical for our need to care for one another in an affectionate way. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2 says this. This is how one should regard us, Paul is saying, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found, what? Faithful, faithful. If we're gonna be stewards of the gospel, if we have been given the responsibility to declare the gospel, which is what Paul is saying in the book of Ephesians, that you as the church are gonna make the gospel known, we have a stewardship that we need to be faithful with. That is a burden of responsibility that is on our shoulders. And so here Tychicus is a beloved brother, he's a faithful brother, and and the next thing here is that he is a ministering brother brother. He's a ministering brother. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. This word minister comes from the Greek word diakonos, from which we get the word deacon, okay, or deaconess, if you want to add that one in there. It simply means someone who serves like a waiter um, at a meal. So, uh, although Tychicus served Paul by assisting him while in chains, and accompanying him while he was on uh, his missionary journeys. 
Paul did leave him in charge of the works where both Titus and Timothy also ministered. So there is a, a reasonable conclusion that we can make that Tychicus was a serving, teaching pastor to fill in those gaps. But we need to remember that there is no clergy-laity distinction found in the Bible. Certainly there, is the, there are the gifts that are the teaching gifts, but those are all presented in the context of other gifts being necessary and vital for the body of Christ. The reality is that we're all ministers. We're all servants. We're all, in a sense, deacons and deaconesses within the body of Christ. In fact, Paul has already established that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, saying to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So it's the saints who are working together with their gifts to help build up the body of Christ. Now, Tychicus was a faithful minister, servant of the Lord. In, in the book of Colossians, we almost have the identical statement written by Paul and if you want to just flip over to Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, here's what Paul says, but he adds one thing. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister, right? Okay, we're all together there. And a fellow servant in the Lord. Well, I thought we just had the word minister, which means servant or deacon, now we have this word servant in the Lord. And if you remember, that word is in the Greek doulos, and it's a word that means slave. And so this is really emphasizing the fact that not only was Tychus a good deacon, but he was also a recognized slave of the Lord. In other words, Tychicus viewed himself as one to whom uh, he would answer where Jesus was his master. He was the slave of Jesus. Tychicus belonged to Christ, and because he belonged to Christ, he desired to live for Christ. This is all bound up in this kind of description of who he is. So when Tychicus stands on that, that day of judgment or reckoning, uh, the Bema seat, he, he longs to hear these words, well done, good and faithful slave you have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now is that what the master will say about you? Is that what he'll say about me? Are you known for serving in the body of Christ? Or for being served by the body of Christ? It's an interesting question because much of the church in America and much of the people that are looking for churches in America have bought into the idea that the church is there to serve me. And so churches actually buy into the idea that our responsibility is to make sure that we have everything in place so that we can serve those who come to the church. Now certainly, as the body of Christ, we are going to be seeking to help and to serve others, but we've got things a little backwards here. The purpose of the church is not just to create a scenario where we're just here to serve everyone else with a program or, or a Bible study or this particular ministry as if the church was created just to serve me. It's a very self-serving, a selfish, me-centered attitude toward the church. In reality, the church in America and Gateway should be asking those who come, 
What are you going to do to serve the Lord and the body of Christ in this church? See, we've, we've, we've turned this, this idea on its head because of marketing strategies and somehow thinking that, that numbers is the measure of faithfulness and success. So what are you going to do to serve the Lord and the body of Christ in this church? It might shock some people if they were to visit and we were presenting that as kind of, hey, you know what? When you come, hey, I'm glad that you're here. What are you gonna do to help serve the body of Christ at Gateway? Wow, man, you guys are really demanding at Gateway. They're asking us to attend church regularly, to, to sing with passion to the Lord so that others would be encouraged, to listen to a, and this is evangelistic elasticity, right? To listen to a 45 to 60 minute sermon and grow together with others that are seated around me. They're asking me to, to give in the offering plate, not as a tip, but as a regular love offering to the Lord. They're asking me to attend home group or another small group and serve the body by participating, doing homework even, and interacting with others in attendance. And to actually use the gifts that God has given me for the purpose of equipping the church within the church and for the church. I mean, what's in it for me? I thought that the church was built around meeting people's needs. I thought that there would be a small group for my unique situation in life, and if there isn't, that they should be quick to create one, because I'm here. And if they want to keep me here, that's what they need to be doing. Now friends, people may not come out and say things like that, but that's the attitude that many people have toward what the church should be doing. Now, I just wanna pull back on this a little bit. It is through serving that our needs are met by the body of Christ, not by demanding our needs are satisfied. When you and I identify our gifts and use those gifts within the body of Christ, by using our gifts, if everyone's doing that, our needs are met. It's a selfless, approach to ministry as opposed to a selfish approach to ministry. And that's why Paul uses this wonderful picture of the body because the body is interdependent, right? The eyes and the ears and the, the head and the feet and the hands were all working together. You know what it's like to be uncoordinated as a body. You know, if I'm over here and I'm trying to hear something over here, my eye says, I don't care, I'm gonna go over here. No, it works together. Your body, without even realizing it, works together. Just like I'm speaking right now. have no idea what kind of hand motions I'm using. You do. I have no idea. I just do it. That's because everything is intertwined together. And when the body of Christ is, the people in the body of Christ are serving with the gifts that God has given them, it has this wonderful result in meeting the needs of the body of Christ. But if people are just saying, I demand that my need is met, I demand that my need is met, then all we're doing is servicing needs. We're not, we're not necessarily actually creating a body where it's interdependent, right? So we wanna, we wanna pursue that. And then the last thing here is this. He is a, an encouraging brother. He's an encouraging brother. Verse 22, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And to encourage someone implies that they have been struggling with courage. 
Now this is especially important because he's writing this just on the heels of this picture of a spiritual battle taking place. When we turn on the news, we're not usually encouraged, are we? I mean, just the highlights from the last you know, couple of weeks are not exactly encouraging. Hateful violence taking place in Iraq. Ongoing conflict in the land of the Bible. Border invasion and warfare in the Ukraine-Russian border and racial riots in St. Louis. And you can go on and on. It's just bad news after bad news after bad news. And it can be tiresome. It can be discouraging. And don't think that the world has changed so much. In Ephesus, I'm sure there was bad news. I'm sure that there was discouragement. I'm sure there were things that were happening. And they needed to be encouraged. Maybe they needed to be encouraged about what was going on with Paul because he was a dear friend. Maybe they needed to be encouraged about what was going on with the body of Christ around, uh, you know, around that continent. They needed to be encouraged and they wanted to hear. And so Paul is sending Tychicus to encourage their hearts. Now this word encourage comes from a Greek word, parakaleo. It's actually a word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit as the counselor. It, it's actually two words that come together, parakaleo. Kaleo is to walk alongside, or to walk, and uh, para is alongside, so the idea is someone coming alongside with the purpose of helping. So this idea of encourage then is a beautiful, wonderful picture of what um, an individual can do within the body of Christ as an encourager. Now the implication is that Tychicus would give them a God-centered perspective on Paul's imprisonment and on their ongoing struggles and fears as a church. And friends, we are greatly encouraged when in the course of a trial we are able to, because of someone else's wisdom and encouragement, we're able to see the hand of, of God. We're able to see his, his purpose in all the things or at least direct our attention to what we can't see but what we know is true, that God is sovereign, that he is at work even through what seems very, very difficult and tragic. So simply knowing God's sovereign care is an encouragement to us. Now are you an encourager? Are you thankful for those in the body of Christ that care for you through the ministry of encouragement? Now this has been a a snapshot, so to speak, of an affectionate believer that is marked by four characteristics, love, faithfulness, serving, encouragement. But let me encourage you to do a look in the mirror of God's word. A self-evaluation, so to speak, to determine if this is how others would describe you. And if you're really brave and want an honest answer, you can ask someone you trust to hear what they think in light of this passage. If they were writing this letter, would they be mentioning you like they're mentioning Tychicus? An affectionate living, beloved brother, faithful brother, ministering brother, an encouraging brother. And then we transition now to what I'm calling an affectionate praying an affectionate praying because this is the example of Paul. Paul was saying these things about Tychicus because he spent time with him. He lived with him. He ministered with him. He, he, you know, he went through hard and difficult times with him, but now he's turning his attention to the Ephesian believers. 
And here is how an, an, an affectionate apostle cares and shows his love and affection toward the Ephesian believers, and he does that through prayer. Now, it's easy to skip a passage like this. Oh, I got to the end of Ephesians. All right, let's quickly hurry up. But we miss some of the beauty that's here. And we say, oh, these are just the ways they end these. You know, it's got peace and it's got grace and things. But why are those things there? We want to see why those things are there. Because this is also God's breathed out word. And it's been recorded for us for a reason. And so we want to dip in and make sure that we pull it out. Okay? So this was a prayer that Paul ends this letter with, but it's a prayer for the Ephesian believers. Let's just read verse 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you, or with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. What do you pray for when you pray for Gateway Bible Church? Are your prayers expression of, of love and caring affection for the body of Christ that God has called you to? Now this, this example that we have in Paul is not simply an example of content, but it's also an example of loving and affectionate attitude behind that prayer. And notice that Paul isn't praying for Aunt Sally's hangnail on her big toe or for his friends to have a good day or that they will be happy. There's far more depth to the words that he uses here, which by the way are all rooted in what he has already said in this letter. So he begins by praying for peace, for peace. Peace be to the brothers. And here Paul is praying that the Ephesian church will be rightly benefited from the three aspects of peace that we actually looked at a couple of weeks ago. From being at peace with God, in other words, being reconciled um, to God through Jesus by virtue of the cross. And, And certainly, in those that are gathered as the church in Ephesus, there may be some that are not yet reconciled. They're there, they're in attendance, they're part of the families, but they haven't necessarily come to that place of of being at peace with God. But then there's also the experiencing the peace of God. And that's the peace that surpasses all understanding. That's the peace that we apply in the context of living because we know that he's sovereign. We know that he has a purpose. We know that the things that we're facing are all part of his plan. And so we, we, just, we continue on with a, a, a peace that is resting in um, God's purposes for our lives. And then there's the peace from God, that is the peace that we have been entrusted with, the good news of the gospel that we can proclaim. So it's a peace that comes to us, but then we now, we express by virtue of the gospel. Now all this peace is a result of God's redemptive plan through the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross. It is this peace that has brought together enemies into the family of God. It's the the peace that has taken two groups, as I mentioned before, the Jews and Gentiles, uh, that were opposed to one another and and made them into one man. So we pray for peace among the brethren. We pray that the peace would would affect their children as well as those that are attending um, those churches or those gatherings, that they would ultimately be at peace with God. And so just think about it, as gateway, we want to pray for our children, that they will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's the way we pray for one another, all right? 
We pray that, that those who are in attendance, who are searching, who are, who are trying to figure this out, would, would, be, um, would be received by Christ and that he would draw them in to this family by virtue of the gospel. Um, so we pray for peace also that is the peace of God, that it would permeate all that um, we are doing as a church. And we have all sorts of different struggles. I mean, this morning, just hearing about Danielle Braga's mom, the, the kind of burden that's going on there, which is happening right now, and some of you have been in other circumstances where to know that the body of Christ is praying for you brings a peace that maybe you couldn't comprehend except for the fact that God was providing it for you. Okay, So we pray for that peace to, to, to actually permeate the body. We're praying for peace, that same peace, in marriages and in families and in struggles and in vocations and that the, the church would be a beacon of peace from God to this world. Let's just put it this way. We need to marinate in the peace that comes to us via the cross of Christ. Just pray that we would rest in this wonderful peace. Now, friends, we need that. Or we can just kind of say, oh, pray for peace. Or we pray with, with a heart of affection and care and love for the body. And we pray, God, would you bring peace to Gateway Bible Church. Bring peace to these fellow believers that we know. Bring pre- peace to the brothers and sisters in Christ. Many prays for love. And of course the word love is a nebulous word today. It just can, has all this kind of warm, fuzzy stuff going on with it. But God loves us, and in turn, we are called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need both peace and love to be flowing freely in our marriages, in our families, as we spend hours at work every day. Peace and love are ongoing uh, realities that we need to be living in. And as the church, we must seek to build and maintain loving relationships between the brethren. Now, we, we, we pray toward that end, but our love is not conjured up emotional love, but a love that overflows from a knowledge of and an intimacy with God himself. So I would just invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And there actually are two other gospels that have this passage, but Luke chapter 10 and verse 27. Here we have the two greatest commandments put into this one verse. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He actually gives two answers here. And he said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the point there is completely. Just love him completely. That's the first and greatest commandment. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I just get this idea that in order to love my neighbor, what do I have to do? I have to love God. I love God, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you go to a wedding, you see that fountain. I like it better when it's chocolate, you know, and it's just flowing out there. But it's, the, the, the top tier is, 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 the, is the love of God. And it overflows, and when it overflows, then that enables us now to love others. And in particular, to love the body and then to love those that are outside the body. So when we're praying for love 
to be present within the church, we're not praying for some kind of a soupy, created, fabricated emotion. We're praying for a love that comes from this relationship with Christ to overflow now into how we relate to one another and how we relate to those who are outside the body of Christ. So we pray that, that, that God's people at Gateway would love him and as a result of that be fashioned and shaped to love others also. And so we pray toward that end. They would love God wholeheartedly and they would love others out of their love for God. He also prays for faith, for faith. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a connection that faith has with love that is fleshed out effectively in Galatians chapter five, verse six. And here's what Paul says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. And the idea of this circumcision and uncircumcision is these, these two ways that Jews and Gentiles attempted to come to God through rituals. But in Christ, it's neither circumcision or uncircumcision. It's only faith working itself out through love. And so what does that mean? It means that now that we are in Christ, it is our faith that is worked out in the attitudes and actions of love. By virtue of our faith, we are knit together. We, are, we care for one another. We are affectionate. And so to pray for faith is to pray for others to believe and then to act on that belief. Now friends, that's something to pray. To pray that not only God's people will hear God's word, but then would act on it. To pray that their faith would not simply stop at a place of knowledge, but would flesh out even more to a place of application. And we want to even take it one step further. Application that flows out into proclamation. That's why we say that Gateway Bible Church is a body of believers that are committed to knowing applying and proclaiming the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the thinking behind it. We have to know before we can apply. But if all we're doing is knowing and not applying, we're not being effective. And so we pray that not only will we know, but we will learn to apply. And that happens then as we're the body of Christ working through things together. Sometimes we have to teach one another how to apply. And then not only do we apply it, but we also proclaim this wonderful truth. So we're encouraging one another as, as people who are living in a sex-crazed world how to apply faith to that, to believe what God says and then to live it out in such a way that we're guarding ourselves from all the things that this society is pummeling at us to, to, to pull us down. Uh, if we're struggling in a marriage, um, we believe what God says about how we are a reflection of Christ and his church. And based on that belief, it fuels us to act in a way that would demonstrate to the world around us that we're filled with the spirit, that we're not gonna do things the way the world does it, but we're gonna do things the way God does it, even though we, we may be in a, a similar place as far as uh, you know, a, a relationship that has kind of deteriorated. It's because of the gospel that things change. It's because of the gospel that, that we're able to do uh, things differently. It's because of Christ. And then he prays for grace. Then he prays for grace. 
Now grace here is, again, another word that in our Christian culture has, has kind of become a, a buzzword. But let's just take a, a little bit moment here and, and just to recognize that grace is rampant in Paul's writings. And in particular, in the book of Ephesians, um, he uses it 11 times. And just follow me, we're just gonna do just a quick kind of read through here couple of passages, we began our services with this, but look at chapter one, verse two. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace then is, is the place where Paul begins. It is also the basis of our spiritual blessings. Look at chapter one, verse six. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his Grace. So it's the basis of our spiritual blessings. It's also the means by which we have been saved, or we should say, been brought from death to life. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then grace is the source of our spiritual strength, or spiritual gifts, I should say, also known as graces that God has given us so that we can help nourish and strengthen and equip the body of Christ. And that's Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And now Paul ends this deep theological yet practical letter with a prayer that is appealing for grace to be present and ongoing in the life of the Ephesian church. So these four prayers for peace, love, faith, and grace are, are central both theologically and practically in the life of the church. Now friends, just on, on, a, uh, on a reflection of, of how do we pray for one another, there's certainly a place to pray for physical struggles. But I wanna encourage all of us as we gather for prayer, even in the context of home group, um, or small group when we're praying, that our prayers would, would be weighted in such a way that we would be more concerned about spiritual endeavors than simply physical struggles. There's a place for that. We're, we're told to pray for physical struggles and trials. But are we praying for the, the spiritual realities that matter? And these four words describe for us wonderfully what some of those spiritual realities are. We need to pray for one another in that way. Now I wanna bring things to a close here with three points and we're, we're kind, of, um, uh, kind of looking beyond our text today but just kind of connecting this, this care and affectionate attitude to the whole of the book. And I want us to think about this word together. There is the sense in which this book is, is not written to an individual, it's written to a church, right? In fact, it's written to believers, maybe multiple churches in the Ephesus region that are meeting in households. And we want to think then through what Paul has said through the lens then of togetherness because we're looking now as he closes it up to this, this love and affection and care within the body of Christ, this brothers and these sisters that are all part of that, that church and so there's this togetherness. So, so the first thing I want us to think through here as we conclude is, is this, I want us to remember that we are seated together in Christ. That means that our, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ then you, 
you join every other believer in being the recipients of the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So if you're a child of God, you have the same spiritual blessings that I have. We're united together with every other believer in Christ. And the, the, the blessings are not just for a few believers, but are for all. And we want to encourage one another to know these truths and to rest on these truths and to live our lives applying these truths in all circumstances. And that's why as God's people, we, we always begin by going back to, we say, the gospel, and by that we mean these implications and these blessings, these truths that are foundational for our existence as the body of Christ, but then also as individuals following Christ. And there's a common ground because this is all true of all of us. And so we go back and we say, well, wait a second, you don't have to panic that, that somehow you know, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna please God enough and somehow you're gonna, you're gonna get stuck maybe in some kind of a holding tank. Say, no, 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 you are in Christ. That is true about me, it's true about you. This is true about all followers of Christ. So we go back to that theology over and over and over again. And friends, that theology matters. But not only that, together we're walking as the church. See, this is a, there's a togetherness aspect of this. There is this, this, this community dynamic that is outflowing here from this letter. God promises us that we will, he will never leave us or forsake us. And one of the ways that he carries out that promise is through his presence in the body of Christ, God through his Holy Spirit who dwells within each believer is present with us when we walk through this life um, with other believers and sisters in Christ. So when we're with other brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not alone. God is somehow, somehow incarnated by virtue of the people who are part of the body of Christ. So when we're present with another believer when they're going through some difficulty, there's a sense there that properly that God is realizing his promise to us to be with us. Now he's certainly with us by virtue of the fact the Holy Spirit resides in us also, but he is also with us through the rest of the body of Christ that ministers to us. And so we're walking together, and so we share the journey with one another. We help one another put on the righteousness of Christ and put off sin. We support one another when we face struggles, whether in, in the context of, of, of living in a, a sinful world or in the context of our marriages and families and the workplace like Paul has talked about there. We encourage one another. We support one another. Why? Because we are together, the body of Christ, experiencing the same things. And then we're also standing, or we could say fighting together as an army. We're a brotherhood, we're a sisterhood, we're a community of believers actively committed to knowing, applying, and proclaiming the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We march together, we stand together, we help one another adjust our armor, we teach one another how to wield the weapons of the word of God and prayer. And this happens together. To be a soldier clothed in armor, standing out by himself, is to ask for trouble. And we don't need to do that because we're not the champion, Jesus Christ is the champion. And we are the army that stands behind him and yet we are in a battle. 
So we pursue our responsibility to love God and to love the brethren with a care and affection that stuns those who are watching. Why? Because we are elected, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, and have been promised an everlasting inheritance. Because we are now his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are now his church united together in one man through the blood of Christ. Because God is at work making known his gospel through us. Because we are the body of Christ joined together in Christ. Because we are the bride of Christ being nurtured in order to be presented to the Father by Christ. Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God. May Gateway be a caring, loving, and affectionate church. A brotherhood and a sisterhood that lives their lives together for the glory of God. And may relationships be fashioned here that are strong and have a lifelong impact. That is our desire. And that's what God wants us to see here through this text. Lord, help us as we contemplate the, the beauty and the weight of this book, but Lord, also even now at the end, the, the personal touch that Paul brings and describes this incorruptible love that unites the body of Christ. Lord, there, there is no one that can undo what you have done for us on the cross. That is a reality, that is a certainty, and Lord, that is what provides reconciliation to mankind. And Lord, we who are your children, we celebrate that, we rejoice over that. We are humbled by it, but Lord, at the same time, we are amazed and thankful for it. May we be a body of Christ, rooted in the gospel, practically living out of the gospel, and fighting together for the glory of God, truly caring and loving one another with an affectionate, uh, Lord, an affection that is, that is like the affection that you had for Tychicus, and that you had for the Ephesian church. Lord, may this be a lesson to us. And Lord, may we be the Gateway Bible Church that you want us to be for your glory. We ask in your precious holy name.